Today on Ag News Daily. The pandemic and the civil unrest of this year has really highlighted the societal and economic gaps um, that we have in this country and also the um, incredible need to provide sustainable access to healthy food for everyone. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Thursday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined by Ashton Carr. Ashton, how did it go yesterday with you and Dawson co-hosting? It was really great. I got to say it was a little bit bumpy just because it was my first time really reading the market. So I'm going to have to practice a little bit more, but I think that it went okay. I think so too, Ashton. And I like that we're pushing you to learn some new things here on the podcast. Oh, absolutely. I need to just jump into the water and not worry about getting my feet wet so much. Just go full force. Absolutely. I also think we should start making you ask some questions on Market Mondays. Okay, I will. I mean, you're just really ripping those training reels right, right <laughs> off. But I mean, I guess I guess I deserve it. I've been on the podcast almost a whole year. So it's about time. That's true. That is absolutely true. Well, Delaney, the news wires were a little bit slow today, but kicking things off here, I guess this really isn't a little bit of news, more of an update on kind of what's going on in my neck of the woods. But I woke up to some rain today in Lubbock. It rained a little bit on and off this morning. So that was some really great news. But my parents, however, they're, you know, back down in Dallas they got about four inches of rain. It was a pretty big storm from what I hear because even some of my friends in Oklahoma, one of my friends who goes to OU, she lives there in Norman. She didn't even have to work this morning because the storm was so bad. It had knocked the power out at her her workplace. And so it was a, a pretty big storm, I think, ranging from you know Oklahoma to the Northern part of Texas, but it was pretty crazy. It sounds like it. Yeah, I think we got some hail in Lubbock yesterday, too, or in parts of Lubbock. I didn't experience any, but uh, hopefully everything is okay. But I'm glad we got a little bit of rain. Is it pretty dry up there, Delaney? It certainly is, Ashton. I chatted with Eric Snodgrass Tuesday now, and we were talking a lot about the weather. You know, I think we talked after we recorded the podcast on Tuesday, and then I wasn't on yesterday, but... You know, he said, if you have the opportunity to plant, don't stick around and wait for it because we are going to see quite a few scattered showers here across your part of the country into my part of the country, Ashton, here over the next week or so, which is great because we obviously need that rain. But he said he wouldn't wait around to see what conditions turn 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 around to be later on in the year. Just get in there and get planted because he's not he's not positive overall what we're going to see here. A longer term, which may not be super favorable for planting. Yeah, I saw a headline today that agronomists are a little nervous about how dry it is in the Midwest. So hopefully we do get some of those scattered showers, like you said, Delaney, and those who need it get it. But moving right along here, talking about some non-weather news, China confirmed that there was another outbreak of African swine fever on a farm in the northern region of Inner Mongolia, which is the 10th outbreak to be reported this year. The outbreak was detected on a farm near Botao City with 432 pigs, of which 343 died. Two other outbreaks have recently been reported in the Xinjiang region of China, which is northwest of Inner Mongolia. 
Most cases of this disease have been going unreported. However, the industry has said that swine fever in northern China had a significant significant impact on hog production in the first quarter of this year. And we've talked about it many times about how China said that they're kind of getting, you know, rebuilt on their hog herd. They just announced their plan. It's not yet going into effect to split the country into five zones that'll go into effect May 1st. But I mean, hopefully this plan works. I don't know. Just another report of African swine fever outbreaks. I'm really hoping that, you know, this plan does get some kind of control. Mm -hmm. And I've got a little news here as well. I'm not even going to try to pronounce this company's name, but it's China's number two hog breeder for the entire nation said that they're rebuilding their sow herds after losses due to low productivity and African swine fever. But they said in an investor meeting on Wednesday night that they are aiming for a herd size of 40 million by year's end, although they didn't specify necessarily where their current herd size is. So we have no idea if this is a realistic number or not. But as you're saying there, Ashton, there's still a lot of danger of fresh outbreaks. We're continuing to see fresh outbreaks. And this hog breeder, uh, again, not going to try and pronounce the name, uh, sold nearly 10 million hogs in 2020, which was a 65% year-over-year change. And it sounds like they had a lot of downsizing that happened last year during African swine fever. Now They're now trying to turn that around and ramp things back up here. Well, Delaney, like I said, it was a bit of a slow news day. I mean, I spent quite some time trying to dig through and see if there was anything really interesting and worthy of sharing today. So this is my final story that I wanted to share with you, and it's coming out of Mexico. The Mexican Supreme Court ruled by a unanimous vote in favor of overturning a 2017 lower court decision that prevented the Mexican federal government from implementing regulations to allow for the importation of fresh U.S. potatoes throughout the country. The ruling marks the end of a decades-long legal process that began when Mexico's potato industry sued the government to prevent competition from imports. Jared Balcom, who is the vice president of trade affairs for the National Potato Council and himself is a potato grower from Washington state, said that this ruling is consistent with Mexico's obligations under the USMCA and the WTO. It represents a major step forward in the U.S. potato industry's efforts to provide consumers throughout Mexico access to fresh, healthy U.S. grown potatoes. After decades of delay, we hope this ruling represents a light at the end of the tunnel and that the Mexican regulators will immediately begin working on regulations to allow for the importation of fresh U.S. potatoes throughout their country. So good news for, you know, the potato farmers throughout the U.S. It's going to be ramping back up those imports, hopefully here soon, into Mexico. And I've got some other import-export related news here, Ashton. U.S. export sales numbers ending the week of April 22. Soybean sales rose to 732,000 tons. Basically, not quite a three-time jump compared to the week prior. Corn sales rose to over a million tons, and they doubled as well. And wheat sales fell just about 200,000 tons to clock in the week at 461,000 tons. But uh, overall, we saw some pretty strong, pretty supportive export sales numbers here this uh, for last week, ending last week. 
Well, Delaney, like I said, it was a bit of a slower day today. So honestly, I'm kind of ready to get into the markets if you're ready. I am. I have just uh, one other piece of news here to share a little bit. We saw oil futures touch some fresh six-week highs and just yesterday, I believe, is when we clocked those in. But there's quite a few, how do I want to explain this? Competing forces, I guess, would be a good way to say that, that are working here to find it out, duke it out in the oil industry. On the one hand, we are seeing a lot of economies surge. We're seeing job claims go down. We're seeing a lot of countries reopen, especially with the vaccine. However, on the other hand, we're seeing a lot of oil companies hold off on surging or ramping back up oil production. And I think there's a couple of reasons that that goes into play here. I won't give too much this away, but folks, if you're interested in reading this more, we wrote some commentary here at Trader PhD earlier today. You can download our Trader PhD mobile app and we talk about this more in depth. But I think here over the next six months, there are going to be a lot of competing forces to see will oil companies have the confidence to reopen, ramp back up oil production, or will we see prices just skyrocket because oil companies are not able to keep up with the demand as we see company countries reopening, folks getting back out there and driving. Ash, and I don't know how closely you pay attention to gasoline prices, but I have definitely noticed a pretty big jump in my fuel costs here over the past couple of weeks. Honestly, I can't recall off the top of my head if there's been a significant jump here lately, but gosh, I remember a year ago I was paying maybe a dollar thirty <laughs> and now it's I think it's up to two forty four. I can't yeah, I think that's sure. about the average that I'm seeing right now. But honestly, well, and you are you are thankfully down in oil country down there in Texas. So it's not like they've got as much uh, of an issue trying to get the product where it needs to go. You know, here in Iowa, we don't have a lot of oil refineries or oil companies anywhere close by. Yeah, I guess. I guess I'm I'm pretty lucky. I've seen on social media folks, you know, I guess I think California is pretty pricey right now. I have seen things from like five to seven dollars or something like that. I don't know if that's me making something up, but I, I have a faint memory of seeing something like that on social media. So folks, you might have to fact check me. Well, one thing we don't have to fact check on today, Ashton, is the markets. What do you say we hop into it here? Let's do it, Delaney. Well, we certainly had a little bit of a pullback early on today. I thought markets were going to finish lower, and then we finished mixed on the day. So grains are really having a hard time here finding their footing. And we saw the May corn contract close up 15 and three quarters cents to end just above $7 at 7.02. The Dece new crop corn pulling back a half a cent to end at 5.46 and a quarter. Soybeans had losses today as the May contract gave up 15 and a quarter cents to close at 15.42 and a half. November down nine and a quarter cents to close at 13.18 and three quarters. Now in Chicago wheat, we did see some fresh highs earlier in the week and we continue to see a little strength today in the Chicago contract as the May contract added 12 and a quarter cents to close at 7.37 and a half. The July up six and a quarter to close at 7.29. Hopping over to take a look at the livestock markets today. There was some mostly strength, I should say, across the protein markets as the live cattle complex closed higher as well as fear cattles and lean hogs mostly lower today. 
June live cattle up 60 cents to end at 116.05. The August up 92.5 cents to close at 117.40. In feeder cattle today, the May contract up 87.5 cents to close at 135.80. The August up 97.5 cents to close at 149.87 and a half. And wrapping things up here with the class three, excuse me, with the lean hog markets. Before we get to dairy, we got to talk lean hogs. May had not quite a limit down move today. Ending $2.55 lowered and at 108.72 and a half. The June contract closing out today at 106.72, down 240. Now wrapping up our markets with the class three dairy milk futures. The May contract today down four cents to end at 19.18. The June up nine cents to close at 19.73. Ashton, without further ado, fill us in on who we're talking to for today's interview. Today, we are talking to Leslie Lytle about the One Planet, One Health Initiative Grant Program. Today, I have on the phone Leslie Lytle, who is the president of Dannon Institute North America. And I'm really excited for our conversation today. I definitely think that it is a timely one. But Leslie, before we get to talking, I just want to thank you for coming on today. Thanks, Ashton. I'm really happy to be here. So before we really get talking about, you know, the One Health or One Planet, One Health initiative program, which is what we kind of initially wanted to talk about today, let's talk a little bit more about you and what you do at Dannon Institute North America. Sure. Um, the Dannon Institute in North America is actually one of several Dannon Institute that are actually created worldwide by the Danone Food Company. Um, the Dannon Institute of North America is actually a separately incorporated 501c3 nonprofit foundation dedicated to non-commercial activities. So we have a board made of made up of eight people, four are more, more academic and four are from the company side. And our role on the board is to um, is to foster transdisciplinary community-based work in the United States to promote community, to promote sustainable food systems. So that's, that's the mission of the Dannon Institute North America. And this initiative program that we're fixing to talk about really goes hand in hand in what Dannon Institute is really striving to do. So why don't we go ahead and kick things off talking about the One Planet, One Health Initiative grant program you guys just opened applications earlier this month. So why don't you give us kind of the rundown on what that program really is at its base? Sure. So the One Planet, One Health Initiative was launched in 2019. Um, and it was launched in a response to the company's Dan and North America's mission to bring health through food to as many people as possible. So it uses a global frame of action that reflects Danone's belief that the health of people and the health of the planet are inseparable. And so the goal of our One Planet initiative grew out of that, of that mission of the company with the idea to foster transdisciplinary community-based work in the United States and Canada to promote sustainable food systems. So, you know, I've used the term transdisciplinary, which which a lot of people have noticed as a very nerdy academic term. So let me say just a little bit more about it. So transdisciplinary means to bring together um, uh, people with a variety of disciplines and expertise to help solve complex problems. So, you know, what we have learned is that when we fail to engage community in looking 
for solutions to community problems. And when experts work in silos, we very often fall short in our, in our efforts. So a transdisciplinary approach means that we engage community members as well as a variety of disciplines in looking for innovation, innovative solutions. So in this case of food sustainability, that includes nutritionists, economists, agricultural experts, public health experts, and system scientists, all working together in community. So Leslie, I kind of want to get a further look at what some of these projects have looked like in the past. I mean, you're accepting applications right now, so I don't want to give, you know, anybody too many ideas or anything if they are wanting to, you know, apply to this program. But what are some of the past projects that you've seen? Yeah, so again, we've only awarded this. Um, this is only the second time we've we've released this uh, this um, this uh, grant application, and but the first set of awardees from 2019 really did. They really represented exactly the kinds of projects that we're interested in. So our first set of awardees uh, represented academic institutions, city government, and community-based nonprofits, and they worked on a, a wide variety of food sustainability projects. So one of them um, included the construction and promotion of two passive solar greenhouses to allow energy efficient year round growing in Minneapolis, which is obviously a very, very cold climate. Importantly, those passive solar greenhouses were put up in in specifically under-resourced communities in Minneapolis. Um, Another one of our projects, very different, Um, examined the carbon footprint of the Boston public school menus with the idea of identifying um, local healthy menu substitutes for those menu items that had a heavy carbon footprint. Um, Another project pilot tested a family-based intervention to reduce food waste that occurred in, in Canada. And our fourth project um, promoted urban agriculture and promoted building community capacity for creating and distributing hyper-local foods in another under-resourced community. So you see the, 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 the very large range of topics, but in all cases, they were community-based. They came from the community and the teams that were involved in each of these projects included people from from the community and from the disciplines that could help support um, the success of the project. Well, Leslie, you know, the past year has been really unexpected and it's causes, it has caused a lot of drastic changes, not only in our communities, but in the global food system. So do you anticipate some of these new programs for the 2021 cohort to be a little bit different than those that we have seen in the past? Well, um, um, you know, the pandemic and the civil unrest of this year has really highlighted the societal and economic gaps um, that we have in this country, and also the um, incredible need to provide sustainable access to healthy food for everyone. You know, at the same time, our climate crisis is at the forefront of global concerns. So, you know, we have a tremendous amount of work to do in these areas. But we really believe through this initiative that those solutions shouldn't compete with each other, that they shouldn't be isolated from from each other. We also really believe that 
solutions to the global food crisis need a bottom-up as well as a top-down approach, and that the passion of people in local communities, um, you know, for making their communities better, for making them safer, for making them more economically and socially just, we really believe that that can help fuel, uh, fuel a food revolution that results in health for both the global population, the local population, and our planet. Well, Leslie, this has been really great to hear about. And I want to talk a little bit more about the details on how folks can apply to this program if they're wanting to, and what are some of the awards that um, you'll be giving out to those who actually participate. Yeah. So our application process is currently open and it will be open until June 6th. Um, folks can find it at www.dannoninstitutena.org. Um, the application process is, is fairly straightforward. And some of the elements of the training uh, of the um, of the application are that um, the applications need to present a transdisciplinary team. Um, it can't be just a group of academics or it can't be just a group of farmers. It needs to have, um, have some, some experience of, of different people as part of the team. Um, the applications um, provide for $30,000 of funding for two years. Um, and we plan to award um, as many as five teams. Part of, in addition to the, um, in, in addition to the financial um, um, benefits from being accepted into the program, we also offer training. And um, for the first round of our, our, our awardees, this training has been just, has been really, really, I think, important. Um, we have two goals of our training. One is to really help develop this new generation of thought leaders um, and, and multidisciplinary thought leaders that can help advocate for food system solutions. And secondly, our training also focuses on helping our teams um, amplify what they learn and communicate it better so that their impact can be more broadly shared. Um, some of the, the we, we offer two kinds of training, are we, we um, let me start over there. Our training consists of two um, two different aspects. Uh, one is we bring we bring all the teams together for a four day training in Boulder, Colorado, and this training includes um, experts in sustainability, communication, nutrition, and economics. We pull together presentations and panels of community stakeholders involved in sustainable food ecosystems. We create panels and group discussions just talking about the challenges of working in these transdisciplinary teams. And from our first experience at Boulder, I think one of the most important things that came out of the training was really this development of a community among our award recipients that offered them the ability to share ideas, offer support, and feel part of a grassroots movement toward um, sustainable food systems. The other training that we do is a virtual training. Um, a big part of that training is a communications training um, that is facilitated by our Dan and North American colleagues at, at, at the um, corporate end. Um, and it's it's been particularly valued by our participants. 
Well, Leslie, you had dropped where folks can find that application for the One Planet, One Health Initiative Grant Program, but where else can folks find you guys at online if they're wanting to learn a little bit more about the Institute or want to get involved in some kind of way? Yeah, through through that link, Ashton, they can see a description of the Dannon Institute, um, our mission. They can also see examples of um, the four awardees from our 2019, which is, is a good way to sort of get a sense of what kind of, of programs get awarded. Awesome. Well, Leslie, thank you again so much for coming on and talking to us today. And good luck to you as well as all of those who are applying to be a part of the initiative program. Thanks, Ashton. And I am, we're really looking forward to some fantastic applications this year. again there to Leslie for coming on and talking to us about the grant program. We didn't really discuss it in the interview, but Dannon Institute is also having a virtual conference, if you want to call that, on May 6th to talk more about, you know, food security, the food system, sustainability, that kind of stuff. So I'll be linking that in the description to this episode's folks. So if you want more information on that, definitely check it out. Fantastic, Ashton. Thanks for getting that taken care of once again. You've really been helping me out lately. Oh, it's no problem at all. No problem at all. I I love doing it. And I mean, I've been on here almost a year. I think May 11th marks my one year anniversary. So we might have to virtually celebrate or something like that, Delaney, since you're so far away. But folks, if you want to join in on the celebration, you'll have to tune in on agnewsdaily.com and follow along with us on social media while you're at it. If you're not already on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Ag News Daily. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.